Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Good morning, my friends. You know, I appreciate that. We are indeed the few and the mighty today, but that was a solid good morning. I, I, I like that. Thank you. Today, our scripture comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. We're continuing on in the story of Luke. Let me make sure I don't knock anything over. If I do, sorry about that. Uh, we're continuing on in the story of Luke, following the journey of Jesus Christ as he carries out his ministry while he was here on earth. As we come into Luke 9 today, Jesus has uh, just fed the 5,000. He sat down with his disciples for a really tough conversation. We're going to talk more about that later. And then a week goes by and we jump into the events for today, often, often just referred to as the transfiguration for the way that Jesus' appearance was changed and transformed while he was with the disciples. So let's jump right on in, Luke 9, verses 28 through 36. So about eight days after Jesus had had this tough conversation with the disciples, telling them that he was going to die and that they were going to die too. About eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. Don't you love that sidebar by Luke? He's like, yeah, he wasn't really with it, right? He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone, like it never happened. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. My friends, we need the inspiration of God to understand what the heck is going on here. So if you will, please join me as we pray. Indeed, God, we pray that you will open our hearts, that you will open our eyes, that you will open our souls, and that even if just for a few minutes, we might be vulnerable standing in front of you. We pray that you will take all of the distractions that crowd our minds and that you will disperse them away so that instead and in their place, we might be filled with your truth and with your hope, with your light and with your love, that we in turn might be ambassadors of your good news. In all of our imperfection, Lord, may your truth be made perfect. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me tell you, one of my favorite things about this church is uh, hearing the thunder of children upstairs. Isn't that one of the best? 
I know sometimes it's distracting for some people, but I have to tell you, it's probably my favorite part of the service. Um, So something that I hear said regularly as a minister is sort of something is a lament. I have heard it from friends, and I have heard it from strangers. I have heard it from faithful Christians, and I have heard it from agnostics and atheists. I have heard it from people who possess absolutely everything in the world, and I have heard it from people who have nothing to their name. And it's not always said in the same words, but it usually goes something like this. If only God would just speak to me clearly. If only God would just give me a sign. Then whatever it is that I am facing would be so much easier to bear. I know that there have been times where I've said this to myself. There's probably times where every single one of us here has said something like that, has longed for something similar. We're in the midst of trying to keep our head above water, of trying to be faithful, because it always seems to be in those moments that God is the most quiet. In the times where we are trying to do and be who we are called to be, we look up to the sky And we wish that God would just do something obvious, do something undeniable, so that we could be sure in this hope, so that we would be confident in our certainty, so that we could experience the overwhelming inspiration in that moment where we need it the most. I think more people feel this at some point in time in their lives than we often admit out loud. And honestly, I think it's a really good thing. I think that it's a longing that comes from our being spiritual beings. In the same way that we crave touch as physical beings, in the same way that we crave intimacy as emotional beings, in the same way that we follow our curiosity as intellectual beings, We also long for some meaningful interaction with the spiritual. We long for some meaningful interaction with that unseen entity that we know from somewhere in our being connects us with the greatest mystery of all of creation. I think it's a sign of us being spiritual beings. The problem is, we don't always know what a meaningful encounter with the spirit looks like. And scripture isn't always the biggest help in directing us and managing our expectations. Does the spirit look like a burning bush that knows your name and yet is never consumed by fire? That's a low expectation, right? Is it the apparition of an angel telling you not to be afraid? Is it fire from the sky or the healing of a loved one or the miraculous multiplication of loaves and fishes? What does a meaningful interaction with the holy look like? When it comes to miracles like those that are described in scripture, the Roman Catholic Church has actually tried to define it a little bit. They investigate and verify miracles in what is a lengthy and thorough process. One of the most recently verified miracles was only officially recognized in February of this year. It was the healing of a French nun named Sister Moreau who had been in a wheelchair since 1980 and went on a pilgrimage to the shrine of Our Lady of Lourdes in southern France in 2008. She said that she had, quote, never asked for a miracle. However, after attending a blessing for the sick at the shrine, something began to change. She said, 
I felt a surge of well-being throughout my body, a relaxation and warmth. I returned to my room and there, a voice told me to take off your braces. She was 79 years old this year. Surprise, she said, I could move. Noting that she instantaneously walked away from her wheelchair braces and pain medications not to return. My friends, no doubt this nun had a transformative experience with the Spirit. But certainly miracles like these aren't the only way that we can be certain that we have had a true and meaningful encounter with God. We know through scripture that the Holy Spirit is diverse in the ways that it speaks to God's people throughout the generations and the millennia. At times speaking through fire and plagues and tongues, but most often God speaks to God's people through the silence of our hearts through the quiet of the night, speaking in a whisper and a nothing to Elijah, speaking in a dream to Samuel. So then how do we know? How can we verify that our holy moments are also authentic and meaningful? And how do we know that they are not just naive figments of our imagination, some mental acrobatics that are being played out by our subconscious? How do we hang on to what is holy when the holy hangs on to us? I actually think that our scripture passage for this morning offers us some insight on what it's like to encounter God. Because this question appears to be one of the questions that Peter, John, and James were grappling with while they were on the mountaintop with Jesus. Because I want you to remember, when Jesus takes Peter and John and James up to the top of that mountain to pray, they're coming off of a conversation so heavy, so weighted, that it hung in the air for eight days. After feeding the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish, a miracle no doubt. Jesus asks his friends, who do you say that I am? To which Peter answers, the Messiah of God. And Peter's response provokes Jesus to share some really grim news, both about himself and for the disciples. He says, the son of man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So more or less, Jesus is telling the disciples that he is going to die, and that if they choose to continue to follow him, every single day will feel like death. Take up your cross daily and follow me. It's quite a promise, isn't it? You think everyone signed up? They did. It's a low point, though. It's grim news. It's a downer, which is to say that if, Jesus, if the disciples ever needed a boost, if they ever needed their spirits raised and their hope reignited in their choice to follow Jesus, it was now. And now look, just over a week later, that boost that they needed arrives. 
While in prayer, the appearance of his face changed, his clothes become a blinding white. At once, two men were talking with him. They turned out to be Moses and Elijah. What a glorious appearance they made. They talked over Jesus' exodus, the one that Jesus was about to complete in Jerusalem. Wow! Right? It's here! They talked about it, and the disciples, this is just what they needed in the moment that they needed it. They must be over the moon. They must just be jumping off the ceilings. Let's check in and see how they're feeling. Meanwhile, Peter and those with them were asleep. Right? When they came to rubbing their eyes, they saw Jesus in his glory and the two men standing with him. When Moses and Elijah had left, Peter said to Jesus, Master, this is a great moment. Let us build three memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And the the writer of Luke is so embarrassed that he has to record what Peter is saying that he gives a little sidebar, right? Like he was babbling, he doesn't know. But just to make sure that we're understanding this all right, in the miraculous moment that Peter and James and John had prayed for in that miraculous time, that they had asked to confirm that their following of Jesus was the right thing to be doing. In the moment where the biblical heroes of the past miraculously appear and have a conversation with Jesus about the future that they had just been told about, the disciples fall asleep, only to come to as the moment was leaving. Still, Peter, in his eagerness and excitement to validate their experience with the Spirit, begs Jesus to allow them to build some memorials so that they can always remember so that everyone forever can know that they saw something true and real and life-changing once and it happened in this place. And then the scripture continues on and says, but while he was babbling on like this, a light radiant cloud enveloped them. As they found themselves buried in the crowd, they they became deeply aware of God. And there was a voice in the cloud that said, this is my son, the chosen, listen to him. And when the sound of the voice died the way, they saw Jesus there alone. And they were speechless, and they continued to be speechless, saying not one thing to anyone during those days of what they had seen. So they get what they had asked for. They get the miracle they longed for, only to fall asleep, try and make a ritual out of it, and then not tell anybody. In the moment where they needed God to be the most obvious and undeniable, where they needed God to be tangible and all-encompassing, they nearly missed it. They nearly missed it by taking the nap, then they nearly missed the point by wanting to ritualize it rather than hold it in their hearts. And before they finally surrendered to doing nothing and just allowing themselves to be enveloped by God's presence and light and voice, They do nothing. And why? I can imagine why. Because maybe people would think that they had been dreaming. After all, they had been sleepy. Maybe it hadn't really happened. Maybe they questioned if they had really seen it happen. Maybe maybe they thought that they were making it up. Maybe that's why they kept it quiet. Or maybe... They thought that they would laugh at Peter who was babbling away in one of his most vulnerable moments. Who knows, for whatever reason, they filed it away to silence, not sharing it until years after Jesus' death, after they had already sacrificed the course of their lives for the way of Christ. Why would they do that? Get the thing that they want only to keep it to themselves. Let me tell you a story. 
When I was in college, I had two friends named Scott and Eric. Scott, Eric, and I were part of a team of people who planted a church in Huntington Beach in the early aughts. And now every one of us here, I imagine, has a crazy friend, a wacky friend, someone who sort of marches to their own drum, who is endearing and engaging for it. Anyone here have a wacky friend? Yeah, Scott was my wacky friend. He really believed in prayer. He believed in the power of prayer to change things. And he was convinced that if we were faithful in praying for the things that we wanted to see changed in the world, then they really would be changed. And the thing that Scott really wanted to see changed in the world, the thing he wanted to be changed more than anything, was for the rapper Eminem to become a Christian. It is funny. So he convinced, he was convinced that if Eminem became a Christian, then the world would be influenced for good in infinite ways. And so after weeks of convincing Eric and I to join him in praying with him every single week in the same park, at the same park bench, we did. Scott praying for Eminem, Eric praying for the city, me praying for world peace. Now, one day, I had an old roommate who was visiting from out of town. She was a dear friend. She's still dear to me today. We'll call her Charlotte. Charlotte was going to arrive around the time that I was supposed to meet Eric and Scott to pray for Eminem and for world peace. So I told her that she could either come with me to pray or meet me afterwards for dinner. And even though she was agnostic, leaning toward atheism, she decided to come with me to the park. After the four of us had chatted and shot the breeze and caught up a little bit, the three of us, Eric, Scott, and I, buckled down to pray. Scott for Eminem, Eric for our friends in the city, me for world peace. And just as we were about to say our amens, another voice piped in. It was Charlotte. I'm sorry for not believing in you, she prayed as tears rolled down her face. I want to believe. I'm sorry for not believing. There was a long silence after Charlotte had prayed, and as we all opened our eyes and tried to act cool and not make her feel awkward about it, she just looked at us and said, I'm so sorry. She said, I don't know what came over me. And there was no doubt in her mind in that moment or in ours that God had showed up and surrounded her in that moment. In that moment, she felt that surge of relaxation and well-being, and peace. And in that moment, she had an undeniable encounter with God. It wasn't with seraphim or with burning bushes. It wasn't with the healing or miraculous provision of bread and fish. It wasn't with the cloud of light and the gleaming faces of biblical heroes past. It was there on that silly park bench with three silly college-aged kids praying for the soul of Eminem and for world peace. My friends, we are being called to go out into the world. (laughs) And so I'm going to send us with this. When we pray for God to intercede, to overwhelm us with some sign that we cannot deny, God meets us in that, and we do experience it. So let's not give it away. Let's not justify it. Let's not excuse it. Let's not file it because it's incongruent with how we think we are. Let's let it be for what it is. And then let's share that moment with someone else. 
because it is only by hearing how God moves and touches us in the deepest of our souls that we will be people who share good news, that we will be those ambassadors. A couple of years after that, I got a letter from my friend Charlotte who said, nothing more than, I haven't forgotten and I will not forget. May we not forget too. Friends, let's head out into the world. Church reformed, ever reforming, one heart at a time.